This episode of See Here is brought to you by two naive kids from Moostia. afternoon and it's good night from him you're listening to the see here podcast my name is morris on the other end of a skype connection we have mr bernard stickwell from bath hello and in seoul in korea we have mr tim merrill good evening tim bim is the power bim is the word and over in chicago ms wendy i love the apple freeman Hey, friends. <laughs> now, I should also be introducing one more person to this mix. We were going to have a special guest uh, to come and discuss today's movie, The Apple, uh, with us. And this was something that, you know, he, I, I, I guess, suggested and went along with. Mr. Jub- Justin Oberholzer, the cinemasochist, who is widely known to uh, many of you in the uh, community. Uh, unfortunately, because of work commitments, he's had to back out. But champion that he is justin has sent uh an mp3 of uh, a a bit of a spiel he gives about the film uh what his thoughts are on the film and i'll be playing that uh later on in the show for uh your enjoyment and edification and uh he has some very very interesting things to say about it uh so look for that later on the show but uh right now it's going to be uh, the four of us discussing the 1980 film uh, made by uh, the Canon Film Studio, directed by Menachem Golan, called The Apple. So um, I want to go round the table. And um, actually, no, maybe I should give a bit of a synopsis first before we go around the table. So this is off IMDb. Alfie and Bibi, two sweet, naive youths from Moose Jaw, Canada, have come to America to compete in the 1994 World Vision Song Festival. Although the pair have talent, they are beaten out by the underhanded tactics of the festival favourites, another duo with the backing of BIM, Boogaloo International Music, and its leader, Mr. Boogaloo. Though crestfallen by their loss, Bibby and Alfie are soon delighted to hear that Mr. Oh, this is too, too long, too much shit. Anyway, so they sign up with Mr. Boogaloo, who's the head of uh, a big music corporation called BIM, um, and uh, they basically see what... Um, the rock and roll life is all about, and in fact, that the rock and roll life is run by Satan. Um, I don't think what? I've given away too much there. Hang on, my what? The, the, the hell you say? In 1994, the world is controlled by one power. Is success. There ain't 
everything. What about happiness? I wanted to release Bibi from a contract. Cheers. Where is she? I stand alone. I stand alone. me. The apple is the temptation. The apple is the experience. Take the apple! Whoa! Praise the apple! Whoa! Yeah, 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 yeah! The apple is the forbidden fruit. Come and take me and shake me and mow me and make me and fill me up with your fire. The apple takes your soul. Special experience in movie-going entertainment, The Apple. So, um, anyway, uh, before we go into uh, further story and plot contrivances, let's go around the table. Now, um, Bernie, you watched this very recently. What were your initial thoughts? Uh, I think the first thing that popped into my head, and I would put money on the fact that this is what you all thought as well the first time you saw it, is what the fuck? I mean, <laughs> literally, how did this get made? How did so much money get spent on it? What the fuck was everybody thinking? It's just, um, I, I don't know, words can't really kind of do it justice. It's, I, I suppose, you know, it's a car crash, essentially, and... Uh, you kind of have to see it to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Mr. Tim, Mr. Tim, did you have a <gasps> moment? Because I, I think you saw this quite a while ago, didn't you? Oh, a long time ago in the 80s. I mean, uh, there used to be, uh, well, I think there still is a TV station in the United States, CBS. And they used to have Friday night CBS late night. And I remember coming home one night after being out on the town getting snapped and uh you know i'm laying there in a haze on the couch and i turn on the tv and i see this singing and dancing and it kind of reminded me of uh when i was a kid in the 70s they had these two brothers in the united states sid and marty croft oh yes and the, hr puff and, and stuff the, hr puff and stuff right and the Croft Brothers the also did some a better band than this. Yeah, they did. <laughs> but uh, the Croft Brothers did live action too, with singing and dancing. And uh, there was Captain Cool and the Kongs. 
like there was some really really bad bad like live action music stuff that the Croft brothers did in the 70s and and I watched this this film and it reminded me of that it reminded me of the Osmonds for some reason like Donnie and Marie it's funny you say also, that, Tim. Uh, on IMDb, where it says people who like this also like, they've got Going Bananas, which is the... Uh, <laughs> the Donnie movie. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, that's funny. And also, um, initially, uh, watching this again, I don't know, did you did you get a feeling, Bernie, like, you've seen Holy Mountain, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, I think no, you're some being of this, incredibly generous making that kind of comparison. Some of this, no, no, I mean, I mean, like, okay, for example, okay, I don't mean to go ahead here, but there's a scene when they're waiting to see Mr. Boogaloo and they're in the lobby and they're talking to a guy who's like the manager of an opera or a, a ballet. A ballet, actually, people, yeah. Yeah, people blowing fire, and there's a little midget guy, and there's all this. Like, that's that's like the type of weird shit that Jodorowsky just, you know, he he dwells in that. He loves that kind of stuff, you know, that that kind of, you know, like yeah, Fellini-esque. Exactly, yeah. But is. I know it's not the same. I know it's not the same. Of course not. <laughs> Good, all right. I mean, well, like, compare Well, I was, you know, was going to be slightly sacrilegious a little bit later on in mentioning this, but it's so long as we're talking about it. Now, I didn't think so much Jodorowsky, but I sort of thought that Menachem Golan had uh, watched a Federico Fellini film, and right. he knew how to do it, pretty much in the same way that Ed Wood thought that he was Orson Welles. Right. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Uh, I, I can see that. Although I don't know whether so, you would have watched the Fellini film, you might have just heard about one once. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Wendy, your your first thoughts. <laughs> I was trying Excuse to take a point. Hang on, you didn't tell me that Doctor Zom is in the room with you. <laughs> I'm a girl; I can't make fart noises very well, but that was my thoughts. Okay. Well, I don't think we can get much out of you for the for the rest of the show. Shit, I mean, come on, you can articulate a little bit more than that. Yeah. Oh man, this is it's brutal. This is just rough. It's so funny. It's like it was like everything, everything that I hate about seventies camp, like cranked up to eleven. It was, <laughs> which itself is already like a film reference. <laughs> So. so you so you don't like uh, Spinal Tap either? No, Spinal Tap is awesome. Spinal oh. Tap is hilarious. Oh. That's not right. like that's not like weird. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm saying like things like like obviously like you guys know I didn't like Fan of the Paradise and I, I don't like Rocky Horror Picture Show and I don't like I don't know I just I just don't like these weird sort of discoy over the top. Things like that. I don't know, man. Wendy, and next up on C here uh, is Can't Stop the Music. Oh, Wendy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, can I, can yeah, I ask yeah, you a question? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like fun, Wendy? <laughs> <laughs> no. Keep that fun <laughs> with me. Apparently not. Okay, fine. You know, I just wanted to I was going to say, say that I, I don't like anything involves people with glitter on their faces are weird. <laughs> weird face makeup i don't know why that weirds me out i don't like that at all so you never liked the sweet or slate or any uh t-rex or any of that stuff in the 70s no i do but i'm talking about like movie like weird movie musicals. i see i see i see i see yeah okay well you know what that'd be sacrilege not to like them the one thing i want to 
say is I'm, I want to be the contrarian here because usually we always have one contrarian out of the four of us. But uh, I want to say that uh, first off, you know, to make not to make a confession, but I, I don't give a shit. I love this movie. I think it's awesome. OK, so my question to you, Tim, is do you love this movie because you love it or do you love this movie because it's so in that so bad it's good sort of way? A little bit of both, because I think I think in one on one hand, you know, the film is just trying like, you know, trying to do its do its thing. And it's trying to kind of, you know, grasp at so many elements, too many elements, you know, you know and I mean? It's like Golem Golem was trying to basically, you know, line up all these ducks in a row when, you know, I mean, he couldn't even hit the broadside of a barn with a fucking machine gun, you know. And uh, but but the truth of the matter is, though, there's just something fun about it. Like Bernie said, it's just goofy. And, and it's, you know, and of course it's bad. But I just I just think it's, you know, it, sometimes, you know, you want you want like I mean of course you know I'm gonna sit down and watch Citizen Kane or I'll watch you know like The Godfather or serious films you know of that nature but once in a while you just want to eat macaroni and cheese you know what I mean and it's like once in a while it's just there's something that you want to watch and it's just so goofy yeah I don't know there, I mean there's look, just I'll, a real honest goofiness about this film that I like you know it's just right, silly. Look. I mean, look, okay, so I'm I'm with the the majority in saying that this film is a car wreck, and actually I felt like chest pains. I'm, I'm <laughs> shit you not. I felt chest pains while watching this, and I can't say that about any other bad movie that I've watched. However, uh, there are some things that I have taken into account, and one thing that I will say is not necessarily as a positive for the film, but that it doesn't go down to the bottom of the pile, is I remember back, I think it was in 1980, going to the opening weekend of what was then a new cinema in Melbourne, and it's unfortunately now closed down about a year or two ago. But on this opening weekend, they showed the biggest abomination of a film ever that I was really excited to see, and it was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with the Bee Gees and Peter fucking Frampton. Now, one thing I will say about The Apple, unlike Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, The Apple is not boring. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band committed what I thought is the biggest cardinal sin that a film can ever do, and that was bore you to tears. That was just, it was, the songs were sung terribly. I think only Earth, Wind and Fire came out with any redemption. Uh, the, it, it was just, it was an abomination. It was terrible. And the apple is above that. Okay, I will give it that. And also that I'll say uh, where... I, I mean, I, I feel that the apple in some ways is like shooting fish in a barrel to uh, to criticize it. Um, I, I was listening, as I think I mentioned to you guys, uh, to uh, an episode of The Projection Booth from, I'm not sure, maybe a year or two ago. And they were not only talking about the apple, but they interviewed quite a number of the people who are associated with it. So there was the um, the, the songwriters and original writers of the stage play, uh, Corby and Iris Recht. And the original stage play was written in Hebrew, uh, written for the Israeli stage, and then they took it to Menachem Golan, who uh, said, okay, I think we'd do better with this on an international stage as a film if we uh, redid it in English. So they got someone else whose name I've forgotten, and I really should have those notes in front of me, <laughs> uh, who helped them uh, sort of shape it, uh, put it into shape into English. But according in the interview to Corby and Iris Recht, 
they reckon that Menachem Golan basically changed a lot of what their original script was. That's not to say that what they originally came up with would have been much better than this. But to be to be fair, listening to a lot of this interview, everyone who they spoke with, Catherine Merrin's Mary Stewart, uh, who plays the uh, uh, the main actress or the main one of the main characters in the film, uh, Bibi and uh, uh, Corbianaris Recht themselves, and they even spoke to Menachem Golan. So this must have been about two, three years ago, because I think he only died, was it in the last 12 months or something like that, I think. What uh, that, Every one of them put their heart and soul into this. I mean, you, you, you look at it and you think, it's an abomination. Oh, my goodness, what did they do? But to be fair, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit even-handed, it's not because it was bad from a technical perspective. We don't see, at least I didn't pick up anything in the way of continuity errors. They obviously worked hard on the choreography, whether or not you like it, but they worked hard on it. Uh, and, you know, the musical numbers, everything is big. It's tasteless. And it, right. and it offends me. But but it's big. And and they obviously put a lot of heart and soul into it. And I, I go so far as to say I respect it. I don't like it, but I respect it. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say, you know, is that this, I, this idea that, you know, um, that I always have a belief that no matter how shitty things are, people really put an effort. If people have put an effort behind it, then, you know, you really can't, you know, you got to give them that. And I mean, you know, if the people that made the Apple just kind of went, eh, it's a movie, I'm getting paid two bucks an hour to do this film, I could give a shit, you know. There was but no one check re- cashing in this film. No, there wasn't. And that's the thing is, I mean, you know, and that's what really, you know, makes it all the worse is that, you know, you're looking at these people really believing that they're going to make something fantastic, you know, that they're coming off with. They think that, you know, they're really onto something and, and you're looking going, yeah, they must have been on something, not onto something. <laughs> There's a lot of blow on the set of this film, I imagine. Yeah, oh, yeah, no oh doubt. my God, there must have been. Jesus. Yeah, similarly, I just watched that documentary about Ken, and I just watched Electric Boogaloo, and yeah, like, it's it's true, like, it seems like he really wanted this to be such a great thing, like, he really did put all of his heart and soul into the idea of this movie. I don't know if they mentioned this in the documentary, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but in the projection booth, and they interviewed Menachem Golan, and I found this really very chilling, very upsetting, but he said that because of the initial reaction to the film, I think at its premiere, he... He contemplated, gonna... he strongly contemplated suicide. Did they talk about that in the film? No, that's sad, though. No, and, apparently and after thought... the, the critic screening at Cannes, or was it Cannes? It was somewhere. I uh, think it might have been Cannes, yeah. He went back to his hotel, and apparently he was, again, whether this is actually true or not, this might be him just spinning his own myth a little more, who knows. Maybe, but apparently maybe. He, he was on the balcony ready to jump, and uh, is it Your Golan, his partner? He, uh, partner? he came in and, and sort of talked him down, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So, Jesus. Um, well, you you know what's really funny too is like you know everybody looks at uh, you know Masters of the Universe and they're like, holy shit, was that ever a chunk of cheese? And I'm like, oh, contraire, my friend, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. You know, it's like Gold and the Globus. They've they've gone far below Masters geez. of the Universe. You know. And, and I just I want to say, I want to say one more thing about um, Golan and in relation to uh, what he could do with the musical. So back in 1973 or 74, there was a film that was made called uh, Casablanca, uh, and I remember seeing this as a kid. 
and they actually filmed it twice, once in English and once in Hebrew. They didn't overdub it. Uh, so the, the English version I can't find anywhere, but – uh, but I have the Hebrew version, and it's still it, it. And it's actually a really good musical. I'm not saying it's uh, a five star film by any stretch of the imagination, but it was sort of like a, a, a modern take on West Side Story, but without any of the tragedy, I guess. It, but it was, you know, a guy from the wrong side of the track, starring probably the world's oldest gang leader. But it it had it had heart, and the songs were really good. And it's it's just a, it's a good film. So Golan actually showed that with the right material, he could actually come up the goods with you know what was a good musical. So and I guess before we sort of like go into more in depth in the film, I also wanted to sort of go around the table and ask about your feelings about musicals. So I know that there are a lot of people like on the uh, gentleman's guide and other forums who say I don't like musicals. I don't like musicals. And um, I, I've got to say, as someone actually, I mean, because I grew up, you know, watching West Side Story and My Fair Lady and, and all those sorts of things. You know, it was popular in my family. I watched all those films. So I've grown up with those musicals. And I know that there are some musicals that are turds. I don't have a problem with the notion that someone can just burst out into song uh, in, instead of dialogue in a film. And they say, oh, well, that, you know, that's really goofy. But when you think about it, how much do we suspend disbelief in yeah, all sorts exactly. of films? So, so it's just, you immerse yourself in that world. You might not find all the songs great. You might not even find a particular film great, but the whole notion of a musical being bad, just because in real life, people don't burst out into song. Well, but you know, all sorts of things happen in films that don't happen in real life. But, you know, we, we roll sure. with punches with that. So uh, I, I just wanted to say my problem with the Apple is not because it's a musical. It's because it's a dumb musical. But anyway, so that's that's my thought. Around the table, were you guys fans of musicals? And I, I don't mean musicals like where hey, let's get on and put on a show. I mean, uh, I have something to say to you, but I'm going to sing it to you instead type of musical. What do you guys think? Uh, I think musicals are just a genre like any other, you know, like you can't be across the board like, oh, I hate all Westerns or, oh, I hate all crime films. I hate all whatever. There's always going to be something that's good and, and something that's bad. And, and, you know, I mean, maybe there's a lot of uh, I mean, I love like Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff and I love, uh, you know, like classic kind of things. Uh, there's a lot of modern musicals I think are absolute crap, you know, but but it's it's just another genre like anything else. There's good and there's bad and the right. stuff that's good right. is really good. But, yeah, you're right. Exactly. It's just it's just another form of narrative. It's just another form of suspending your disbelief, you know, but I take it by who's writing the music more than anything else. Right, right, right. Tim, I was going to say there was that um, that film that was directed by uh, oh, what's his name now? Shit. Uh, oh, the Cohen brothers, Martin Fink. Uh, what was his name? Uh, John. Uh, John Turturro. John Turturro just did a film a while back where all the dialogue was a musical. Oh, really? What was that? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I, I love Totoro. Oh, I, I he did. He did a. He did a. He did a film where all the all the dialogue was everybody singing in it. I'm at a loss right now. I apologize for not knowing the title, but um, you talked about people just breaking in the song. You know mm. how that doesn't normally happen, and you know, and again, it's this whole thing where you know some some musicals are really on point, and you know they how they really work within a format or within a, a scenario, they're really effective. Like, for example, you know, Rocky Horror is a take on all the 50s B-movies and everything, so it all takes place in a castle, 
and it's all camp. So, I mean, it all works or, you know, how Phantom takes place in a theater and it all works within the confines of a theater and a production, you know, I mean, but this whole idea of just breaking in the song, you know, that just doesn't normally happen, you know. But it's but once again, when you walk into the theater and you know that you're going to be seeing a film and right, this is the world that we're creating. And in this world, people do burst out into song. OK, accept that notion. Right. right then it's no longer ridiculous. And as I said, I, I, I don't take very kindly to uh, that argument. They say I can't watch a, a musical because I don't understand people breaking out into song because you know, we all go and accept all sorts of cinematic tropes. That just right. don't I don't, happen in I real don't life. accept uh, half the cars that blow up in movies, or you know, like this. And no one gets hurt. No one gets hurt. <laughs> right. Uh, Bernie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I have no problem with musicals at all. Um, as with any genre, like Wendy said, there's good and there's bad. You've got to judge each film on its own merits, haven't you? So, but I certainly uh, I have no uh, no problem with musicals. I think the, the, the big problem with the Apple, <clears throat> which nobody's really mentioned yet, is um, two things, really. First of all, the songs are generally pretty fucking bad. Yes. Oh, God! Um, and also the... Uh, the script or maybe not so much the script but the dialogue is just absolutely fucking painful people sort of talk about these bizarre sort script. of script well exactly i mean it gets from sort of a to d to h to b to oh. f do you know what i mean it just and also um the ending makes no fucking sense because you know the story about uh why that makes no sense yeah please tell us well it would apparently um don't we, well, I don't know. Should we spoil it for people out there? I, I think we should yes. spoil it, but I think we should sort of like work our way up to spoiling it, Bernie. Don't you think? Oh, well, you know, look, go for it. Go for it. Well, well should we, we, we'll, should we, uh, we'll get to the ending a bit later, perhaps. But there's a fairly important scene which was filmed initially, um, which apparently went completely tits up and people were actually injured. So they didn't put that bit in the film. And because of that, that was the prologue for the movie. Because of that, the ending... Up literally today, makes right? no sense at all okay so, right but uh, it was uh the film i was going to talk about i was talking about with tuturo was called romance and cigarettes by the way didn't get a cinema release here and i haven't sort of heard about it through any other formats so did you say you'd seen this yeah it was quite the cast it's got james gandolfini susan sarandon kate wow. winslet steve buscemi christopher walken eddie izzard wow that is a cast yeah, it's got a, and everybody's singing. The whole film is all singing. So they possibly so would have taken their um, uh, a cue from a film like Umbrellas of Shaborg or something like that, because it's right, right, right. Um, so let's let's actually uh, talk a little bit about the film itself. Now, um, I know that it, it seems like okay. So, well, Tim, you've gone and professed your love for it. Uh, the rest of us have not, but it seems like you know in. Listening to the podcast, uh, the the, um, the projection booth, and also sort of reading around some of the other reviews online, it seems that there are a lot of people who are saying, you know what, yeah, it's bad, but there's a lot of wonderful stuff about it. And um, yeah, look, I, I guess none of us sort of, well, except for you know you, you, yourself, Tim, uh, and and also notwithstanding, you know, my thought, my respect. For the people who sort of worked so hard for it, but you know, as a film, it's three of us still find it to be a bit of a, a bit of a turd. And when you sort of like look at it on paper, if you sort of don't read the story, but you sort of think that the themes here you get shades of 1984 mixed in with 
elements of the Torah and the, the New Testament, Phantom of the Paradise, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, Time Bandits at the end, uh, elements of hair, Jesus Christ Superstar, and another turd of a film, Treatment. And really, uh, there's there's a lot in there, and you think, well, yeah, this could go either way. This could be great, or this could be a disaster. And, and well, in the end, it turned out to be a a disaster. And I, I think for all of that, they still may be an interesting disaster. But it's a blender drink. That's what I'd like to refer to it as. It's a blender drink. Yeah. You know, it's a mix, like you say, a mix of everything. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there's some there's some things that just make me laugh at this movie, and it's just, and I mean, laugh is just things that come out of nowhere. Like, I mean, like, for example, uh, okay, let's, let's start at the beginning. You know, you, you've got the BIM band at this, at this contest, you know, the world music festival. And then you've got, uh, Alfie, I mean, uh, what are they called? Uh, Andy and Dandy. Andy and Dandy. Right. And they're, you know, and they're basically, you know, the ringers they're, you know, they're destined to win. And then you got Alfie and Beebe that come in, and they're almost like, you know, it reminded me of almost like uh, Donnie and Marie. Like they're just the wholesome, and they're, and they're coming all across as two Canadians from Moose Jaw. <laughs> it's like it's like the middle of nowhere. Like you know, it's like I laugh my ass off because even in Canada that would be hilarious, right? It would be like you know. Imagine, you know, Morris, uh, a film was done in India, like a Bollywood film, and they say, "Hello." We are from St. Kilda. <laughs> you know, like, 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 it's just where, you know, it's like, it's like you wouldn't, you, you just, you know, unless you know, you know, you don't know. Right. right. But I, I think it's funny in the beginning where, you know, it's like they're actually gauging the audience, you know, uh, heart rate and the audience, you know, anticipation and their anxiety and they're, they're cheering and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden when, you know, uh, you know, BB and her partner really start to grab the audience. And then it's like, you know, Mr. Boogler says, pop in this little tape. He's like, what? He gives it to his henchman, who I should say is totally ripped off years later in uh, uh, the fifth element. Oh, yeah, 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 I thought that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And uh, but then when he gives he gives his henchman the tape and he tells his henchman to, to tell the guy, you know, play this tape. What if somebody sees me put it in Then you'll die? You know, so, of course, the guy starts to play rattle and hum. So, you know, uh, <laughs> uh. so he starts playing that. He starts playing that over top of, you know, uh, Alfie and BB. And then the audience starts throwing up spontaneously, as I would, too, having to hear <laughs> fucking boner but anyway um then they can't understand what's going on so then all of a sudden it's like you know they leave and you know alfie's just like holy shit man like we suck we're terrible the baby's just now we got invited to the party let's go (laughs) and then off they go and then and and it's like and then mr boogaloo who who i should say to anyone who's never seen this film Let's get into Mr. Boogaloo. To me, Mr. Boogaloo was like the the rancid hell spawn of like Vincent Gallo and Judd Hirsch. <laughs> he just he just had this weird one earring one earring guy. He, you couldn't tell whether he looked 
Polish or Romanian or... Well, actually, or, I, I did a little bit of research about the actor whose name was Vladek Shadal. And, mm-hmm. and um, he has actually quite an interesting background before. So he didn't just sort of like arrive on the set of the Apple as someone who, you know, just needed to, who had an accent, who they were going to get to fill the role. Um, he, right. he, actually, he actually is Polish. And according to uh, IMDb, he'd actually been a member of the Polish underground, had been in, um, in uh, Nazi work camps uh, twice and escaped both times. Uh, during the war, um, so you know he was part of, the, as I said, Polish underground resistance. Uh, when he finally got out after the war, he didn't know right: do I go off and do medicine or do I go off and do acting? And he decided he'd go off and do acting. So he was actually <laughs> at, Sha- at Sean Connery's insistence, he was in From Russia with Love, and yeah. before that, he'd actually trod the stage with Roman Polanski. So we're not just talking about any old hack. Wow. So wow. there you go. So in, in, the shit, in the shit, you find the nuggets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, but, it, you know, but anyways, he, he, he invites, you know, Alfie and Bibi and, and, you know, as the, as the snake, the proverbial snake in the garden. And um, next thing you know, it's like he's hustling uh, Bibi off with his, uh, his boy, and he's trying to hook Alfie up with his girl, you know. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. They go and she. So basically, what happens is uh, BB goes and starts singing this song with uh, I can't remember which is Pandy or is Dandy, Dandy the male. Dandy is uh, the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Dandy is the guy. All right. Now Dandy, and tell me, Bernie, do you reckon that he looks a bit like? Oh, sorry. He when he sings, he sounds a bit like David Essex. Absolutely. Looks like Roger Dodd. I was going to say. Does. I was yeah. going to say totally David Essex. Yeah. yeah. David Big Essex's time. voice and Roger Daltrey's looks. That's right. Um, yeah. Right. He even he even does a lot. Uh, and Wendy, you'd appreciate this a lot with uh, his his open chest. You know, the bare the bare top. You know, I, I mean, he's not quite <laughs> George Eastman, but you know. I do appreciate it. Well, you you found one thing you like about the film. It's excellent. So, um, you know, Alan Love. So anyway, who played, so, so uh, Alan Love, who plays Pandy, he's only in. Yeah. He's got five credits as an actor. That's it. He's only been in five things. So he yeah. has something. In, he has something in common with uh, John Cazale, then. I guess right. so. Yeah, but, <laughs> my film. Uh, you know. The anti-Cazale. Oh, oh my god! Right, the anti-Cazale. Because I mean, at least Cazale has done five fantastic films. Where this uh, guy can't say. He's, I was I was trying to sort of make it positive for him, but um. he's in Gregory Gregory's Girl, so he's done one fantastic. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh my God! Oh, well, and Gregory's Girl is one of my favourite films of all time. Yeah, how how could that? you not spot that, Morris? Jeez. I I have no idea where he was. Oh my right. God. So all right. And so anyway, know, so the, the point I was going to make. So Dandy goes off with BB, and like basically he's cheated at beating her at this big music competition which there were only two acts in the whole competition next thing she knows so she should be feeling resentful and she's at this party and you know she's with her boyfriend and what does she do she goes off with this guy who says right you're going to be my girlfriend and she says i've got these stirrings in my loins i want to play tonsil hockey with you ah uh, he what does drug her of first a, though doesn't little, he oh um, yeah is that a common thing? You you take a you take like an upper and and all of a sudden you want to um you know it's it wasn't just a matter that she wanted to root him, 
but it was no. a, a matter that she she he, felt. I he, love you. I want. To, I, he, I, he roof. He basically roofied her. Is what he did. Yes. He get right to see there's something Molly. Yeah, he, he roofied her. But you know, I was gonna say the uh, the guy who plays Alfie. What's really funny is you know they're both supposed to come off as Canadians, and meanwhile he's got an accent that I really couldn't put my finger on, and finally I figured it out. Isn't he Irish? He's Scottish. Oh, Scottish. Okay. He's Scottish. He's Scottish. Yeah. Well, if he, well, if he was in Gregory's Girl, then that would make sense. No, no, no. That He's Alan Scottish, Loaf was yeah. Pandy. Are, are you talking that about That was the Alfie? other guy. Oh, Pandy, right. oh, main oh, guy. Sorry. Excuse me. Talking about Alfie. Excuse because me. initially, I'm thinking. I'm this thinking is his only credit. Well, he couldn't top. He couldn't top this. He was in a Scottish rock group called the Bow Weevils. Oh, I know the Bow Weevils. Bow Weevils. Huh? Wow. But this is the only thing he ever starred in. Well, did uh, did all right. you all notice that Alfie George uh, Gilmore? He had he wore the same pair of jeans throughout the whole film, and they were really right. tight. He had some serious moose knuckle going on. Did you notice that? <laughs> oh yeah, really really tight. Oh, he wasn't wearing any jeans in in uh, the Garden of Eden scene. No, though, no, he? he wasn't at the end. But no. up until that point, he was. Uh, no, no, I'm not. Ta- I'm not talking about the end. I, I will, no, I'm talking about um, where where. Um, oh, I guess well, the descent into oh, I'm hell. Oh, sorry. Yes, of course. Say, take, yeah, take yeah. a bite of the take a bite of the apple. He's not yeah. wearing it right there. And oh my god. Uh, so I, I got it while we're sort of in that scene. And before uh, Bernie, you were mentioning about um, the wonderful lyrics that uh, that uh, were written for this film. Oh, I've got and, one here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I bet it's the same one I have. Go on, read it out. Uh, it's a natural desire meets a real vampire. <laughs> it's a natural, natural, natural desire meet an actual, actual, actual vampire. There you go. <laughs> the only, the, just, just because it rhymes, it doesn't make any sense in the context of the scene. Do you know what I mean? It's not. Correct. Right, it's right. just like, oh, desire and vampire rhyme. That'll work. Let's do that. <laughs> and then some chick with fangs sort of, sort of jumps up on the screen and makes sort of hissy vampire noises. Right, oh, and you know what's really funny too that I I really thought was hilarious was when uh, you know they go they they hit the point of where they're supposed to sign a contract, yeah. and then you know Alfie's Alfie's really hesitant, you know, and all of a sudden he starts getting the visions, yeah, and you know, and then next thing you know they're in hell, and then uh, I expected to see the Blues Brothers come out. Because because there's that you know din 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 uh, they wanted to touch on every genre, so they they do a bit of reggae. Oh, and that one is terrible. Do... Oh, how to oh, be a master? That is oh, just, as, oh. as opposed to as opposed to the good ones. Which, well, sorry, which ones were good? Particularly bad that one. Oh well, yeah, it's yeah, like you say. The uh, there's there's a disco-ish song a bit later on. Um, it's called "I'm Coming for You," and I think oh. there was some kind of yeah. subtext to that song. I couldn't quite grasp it, <laughs> but. Um, right. 
that's that, there was that, that the, totally uh, lifts from uh, I Feel Love by Donna Summer, doesn't it? There's this oh, extended. I, no, 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 I, I disagree because I Feel Love is actually a good song. Oh, well, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm still scratching my and, head and about that, that particular I mean, song. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what they were getting at there. Are you suggesting, Bernie, that Coming For You has a touch of the Giorgio Moroder? Just a little touch, yes. Okay. Yes. What did you not think say that? They had the that most... whole, uh, what was it, the cruising, the cruising tribute, too. Yeah. <laughs> that was great, you know. Speed. We all need speed. We all need speed. Oh. Yeah. Isn't there so a there scene in go. that where what? um uh bb catherine uh catherine mary stewart she's working out in a sort of gym but she's wearing leather shorts you wouldn't want mm, leather shorts that, when you're in the gym would you now you guys tell me that she was wrong. that years years later britney spears had not watched this film and taken influence it's her whole career go on well, uh, oh, yeah. cyrus jeez well i mean all of them I mean, shit, man. You look at Lady Gaga. You could see her taking fashion tips yeah. from this film. And I mean, <laughs> Miley, Miley, like, oh yeah, all of them. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. You know, we haven't even gone to the plot of the whole fascism of the BIM industry and the stupid <laughs> stickers you had to wear on your face. The BIM stickers, yeah. I, I have to, I have to say that made me feel very uncomfortable. That whole BIM sticker. But of course, in the end, all he had to do was rip it off. Yeah. But, um, oh, come on, Morris. You're not wearing your BIM sticker? No. Oh, I'm wearing mine. Oh, really? Oh, okay. There's that scene where uh, Miriam Margulies gets hassled in the street and uh, given a ticket for wearing her not wearing her BIM sticker. Right, uh, right, and right. And then she goes back to uh, the apartment house, which she owns and Alfie lives in, um, and he grabs her tits. Did you know it? I was going to say... I was going yeah. to say, when Menachem Golan probably went up to George Gilmore and said, listen, in this next scene... I want you to grab her tits because, face it, you're not getting Catherine Mary Stewart <laughs> at any stage in the film. So the contract – but you said I was going to grab tits. Well, there you go. You got there Miriam Muggerly. Yeah. I thought she was yeah. his mother. No, she was just no, his, she was his landlady. landlady. Oh, yeah. see, Wendy, I know, like, I know what like, you thought. You know, it, was, uh, it was his mother. Yeah. You just you got well, we're, not, thing, we're, not, we're not trudging into We're not trudging into the trashy trio territory here. No, oh. no. But she kept saying, you know, you know, Alfie, you, you got to pay me all this money that you owe me. Like, I want the rent money right now. And he says, well, I don't have the money right now, but I can grab your tits. <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, now, I'm, as I said, I don't think there was any song that I found memorable in the film. But in the one moment that I will concede was enjoyable in a trashy way, 
was that song Show Business. Like a puppet on the string, like a monkey on a swing. Men is clinging to the ropes of the fantasies and hopes we are dangling. He's so eager to believe, and so easily deceived. Like a baby watching magic, he's so gallant with each tragic in the world and naive. Life is nothing but a show business in 1994. We fight for the spotlight, we kill for a Even this, though, it's, it's a moment of, of its... Um, it, it, it's, Fucking awful, but you still have to admire the excess a little bit. And this is this is my Federico Fellini moment. You know, you get the you get the big jazz hands, uh, the the right. the women who are uh, marching in with, with those uh, sequined, barely see-through tops. The the circus entertainers see the incredible shrinking man oh, and the, the clown. Uh, was it the ballet two thousand? That's the one I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one I was telling you about. That's right. totally. Yeah. That reminded me of Jodorowsky completely. Like I mean, something in the Holy Mountain. Like just how it was kind of a spectacle. It was ridiculous, and it just seemed like it was just over, overly done, and just you know. I was going to say that that was that was the moment where uh, you know obviously um, Mr. Boogaloo he's going to break the fourth wall because we in the audience are just not likely to get the fact that he's Satan, you see. <laughs> so he's he's breaking the fourth wall to basically say, I am evil and I am I am going to I I take musicians and I I, I rob them of their soul. They think they've got great art, but in fact it is all just a business. It is stole business. And, and and um I just I just love the fact that you know they gave us this fourth wall because we're not smart enough to work out what his right. operandi is. How great it is to be a slave master song. What the fuck was right. that? Yeah, that was the, the reggae one, wasn't it? That was just uh, dreadful. Yes. Did you guys notice how funny it is how Mr. Boogaloo wears one earring and then when they go to hell, he's only got one horn? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, got, he's got half horn. Half a horn. It's like, half like a fashion statement, you know, a fashion statement, right? You know, I don't know. I mean, like to me, I mean, of course, you know. You, you know, you get a lot of people that go after the hipsters and say, oh, yeah, you guys just love these films because they're so shitty. But to me, it's like, you know, I lived through the 70s and 80s. And now it's kind of like how, you know, we remember candy as kids. Like There was that candy that, you know, we loved to eat as kids. But now as adults, we'd be like, oh, my God, man, I can't believe I ate this. Like, as a child, I really like this stuff. Like, ugh. You know, like uh, pixie sticks and stuff like that, you know, and you just can't believe how at one time you found something really palatable, right? You know, and 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 I, and I think to me that's kind of a, a way to kind of sum up this film is that I remember, you know, the whole disco craze and and, and all the solid gold dancer era and all that shit. And I mean, when you look back at it and how everybody just, you know tried to throw shit at a wall and hope that something would stick, you know, and that's what this film really is. But I mean, it's just so fun and it's goofy attempt. I mean, it, of course, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not looking at this film like Citizen Kane, but 
it's just it's just fun and how whacked out and they they really thought they were onto something and you know they really thought that you know you know oh this is really gonna groove with all the kids you know and meanwhile it comes out and it's just like I don't know who the hell you were you were pointing this film at but you know <laughs> there's nobody there. Well, actually, so one other thing I made a note about here is because um, we, we've spoken a bit about the songs, and you're sort of like alluding to this over here, Tim. I mean, who is the film aimed at, and who is the music aimed at? But it seems like every time that there's a film, and I'm talking about even films where I like the songs, like you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show and Phantom of the Paradise, which you know, to me both have really great, memorable tunes. But every time I see a film that says it's a rock and roll musical. The music often is so far away from the ideals of rock and roll. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Unless yeah. you move. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what's really funny, too? It said that when I checked the credits, it said that the, the lyrics were written by George Clinton. Yes, yes he, George Clinton. he came in. And, and yeah, that's what I, I checked. I went, Whoa, wait a minute! No, no, no. man, George George didn't write this. Tell me he didn't write this. Oh, thank God he yeah. was. No, no, no. And actually, when, when I was speaking when I was speaking before about um, Menachem Golan wanting to take the story and put it into English, and so he he took the original um, creators of the show, uh, Corby and Iris Recht, and he said, "I'll put you in contact with someone who'll bring it into it. He'll help with the English." And it was Clinton. It was George Clinton, so yeah, that was a name I'd forgotten. I, yeah, I can't believe. He played um, uh, Joe Pittman, the reporter in the film, the American sort of news guy right. who shows up right, right at the right, start, right. and the... then he's serving drinks later. That's actually George Clinton who uh, wrote right. the songs. Right, the guy questioning, yeah, questioning everything. Yeah. Actually, so there's one question that I want to put to you, and, and maybe this was something to do with a missing scene. But we go from the start of the film where the idea is that BIM is the biggest uh, music corporation in the world. But it's but it, that's just what it is. It's a big music corporation. And as we get to the latter stage of the film where you get John Q. Law uh, telling Miriam Margulies and, and um, I, I think it might have been George Gilmore as well, uh, why, aren't, why aren't you wearing your BIM mark? They've gone from being a big music corporation to being a totalitarian regime. They run the world. You know, it's four o'clock, everybody. Time for your BIM music yeah, exercise. BIM exercise. Where did it, where, there was no explanation. Where did it go from being right. a big music corporation to being the satanic corporation that is effectively it's running the world? What happened in the middle? And if, if that's the case, if why wasn't it the big corporation at the beginning? And if it was a big corporation at the beginning, why the hell does Satan need to win a pissy little competition that's like uh, Eurovision? Oh, sorry, my mistake. World Vision. <laughs> you know, what's really funny is how, you know, uh, it's actually George Clinton who, who says to Mr. Boogaloo, well, is it true that you're, you know, your your uh, song is going to be the soundtrack for the government exercise? And he's, you'll find out tomorrow. You'll find out tomorrow, you know. And that's all you hear about it. Well, you do actually get to um, see the National BIM Hour later on when everybody stops to exercise to that astounding right, right, piece of right. music. So do you think that oh, they've yeah. gotten word from the set of Can't Stop the Music that they were doing the milkshake? <laughs> Because it, 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 that's what it sort of reminds me of. Do the shake, do the milk, shake the milk. Oh, I can't. Did I sing that? No, sorry. Anyway. Um, we dreamt it. So, 
Did anybody uh, notice uh, the, uh, the the vehicle designs here in, in the futuristic oh, yeah. year in 1994? It's like a, well, an Italian you know, post-apocalyptic film. That's what I was going to say, Bernie. It, it totally it totally reminded me of Bronx Warriors yeah. or something, right? Like it just absolutely right. Like, uh, yeah, apparently, yeah, yeah. if uh, if you're rich and famous uh, in uh, the, the year 1994 and a member of the Bim family, you don't travel around in Rolls Royces. You travel around in no. station wagons with bubbles on the roof. Right. Or hearses, hearses with fins on them and That's stuff. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. Well, it's so funny because I mean, if you've ever seen uh, the film 1990, The Bronx Warriors. Yep. Uh, 1999. They actually like in the beginning when Wendy was talking about the people with glitter on their faces and shit. It's so funny because the band that's playing with uh, Alfie and B. I mean, um, Bim's band. Pandy and Dandy. Pandy and Danny, they they totally reminded me of one of the gangs in Bronx Warriors on roller skates, <laughs> yes. right? Like it, yeah, it yeah, it, it's it's just hilarious. Like yeah. when you're watching this, is you know, it, it, uh, you could tell like there's that total bleed over. Like if you didn't know this was Golden and Globus, you would swear this was done by Italians, right? Yeah, absolutely, right. Yeah. big time, totally. big time. So Bernie, I think. We've come far enough into the show that we can now do the spoiler alert. And you, you wanted to talk about that final yeah. scene in the film. Well, um, basically, uh, after all their uh, trials and tribulations, uh, Alfie and Bibi do finally get back together and live with a bunch of hippies in a park who just yeah. kind of show up out of nowhere at the end. 30 years, 30 years after hippies. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They're, but they're still rejects from the 60s. Uh, living in the isn't, park, isn't, right? that a, isn't that a funny thing? Mister Tops introduces uh, Alfie. He says, "Oh, these are these people here. Uh, they're what were called hippies." Ah, uh, but he's not Mister <laughs> Tops at that point. He's the leader of the hippies, isn't he? It's, oh, excuse me. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes, you're right. So you're the leader, the leader of the hippies. And he made me think of Peter Euston. Of this is completely that's, a that's Logan. Exactly yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it. Yeah, I didn't yeah, totally. it was, yeah, I thought it was Peter Euston. Totally. It was either either Peter Euston or the the big giant from the Muppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's a uh, hair. Oh, not hair. Yeah. Uh, Sweetums. Sweetums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Sweetums. Yeah, he just totally reminded me of the big, the big giant from the Muppet Show. Yeah, Sweetums. Yeah. Anyway, so, go on, Benny. Yeah. So any, anyway, you know, they're living this uh, idyllic hippie lifestyle, um, and then the man shows up to bust all the hippies, and um, Boogaloo and all his henchmen are there, and they want BB back because she owes them ten million dollars. She ran out on her contract. Um, and then a, a freaking Cadillac pulls up out of the sky and some dude in a white suit comes down what the hell it's uh mr mr tops who um yeah joss ackland in a white suit and he basically just says screw you all you nasty people all you hippies come with me and they walk off into the sky and that's the end it's like what the fuck but i love I love I love how they don't say they don't say to him we have contracts they say we have warrants we yes. have warrants yeah. you know <laughs> and and it's you know and the one thing that bugs me is that if he if he's supposed to be God it's like you know yeah and he's driving up in a Cadillac yeah. right it's <laughs> like you know they've been they've been fighting capitalism tooth and nail and the hippies are all going back to nature and their savior <laughs> rolls up in a fucking Cadillac in an expensive looking three piece you know, white suit yeah right and he and he comes trucking down and he's just like you know Boogaloo we don't need you anymore you know and he's like wait a minute you know you you can't have anything without me 
you know, it's like, no, we're going to start again without you, you know. It's and like, it really makes me wonder whether or not they never show it, whether he's, he just wipes everybody out. He wipes Earth out, wipes everything out. You don't know. It's like the end. You just see them trucking off and that's it. I'd, I'd like to think in the, the sort of, you know, uh, fan fiction that I'm going to be working on after we finish here today, that he, <laughs> he leaves Earth in, in the hands of uh, Mr. Boogaloo and just goes off and starts again. So you've got an evil corporate planet and then uh, a wonderful, beautiful hippie planet as well. So, so, so but, it becomes like the Death Star. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> But um, apparently, I'll read this bit uh, sort of straight off of IMDb because it probably explains it better than I can. Um, but the film originally began with a sequence in which Mr. Tops creates the world. He sings a song called Creation and brings various creatures, including Alfie, to life. Then he sings a song with Mr. Boogaloo, a.k.a. the devil, who ultimately falls into a, st- a stream and disappears. Live animals, humans, puppets, and people in costumes filled a small set. Mishaps abounded as a tiger got loose. The elephants got their trunks stuck in the set pieces. People wearing a brontosaurus costume collapsed from the heat. And the terrain and restrictive size of the set proved difficult for the actors to dance through and cameras to manoeuvre. The omission of this disastrous shoot makes the biblical ending of the movie seem completely random. Yeah, that wow. just that, I, I don't know. That I kind just, of I sums up the film in a way, doesn't it? So I think probably at this stage, uh, final thoughts. Vendela, Vendela, what can you tell us? Final thoughts. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, I that's have, a good start. I have no final thoughts. Folks, I think if, you, if you've heard us talk about this, that's all you need to know. Right. So any other final thoughts? I was going to say I'd, I'd love to do like, you know, a triple bill to show people like I, I would I would do something like maybe yellow submarine head and the apple just just a complete mind warp I mean but um, you know I, I just think that all three of them are very you know you have to kind of take them for what they're worth and take them on their own terms right I mean like you know yellow submarine if you don't like the Beatles forget it and, you know, with Head, it's just like, you know, you've got to follow the just experimental style that, um, you know, they were going at. I mean, with Rafelson and, you know, the whole the whole way they went at it and with the Apple, it's just, you know, you've got to you've got to take it for what it is. I mean, you know, it, it, you got to go in knowing, you know, it's total trash and it's total camp and the, the goofiness of it all. And it's just, you know, you just let the spectacle just ooze over you like the juice at the bottom of a garbage bag, you know? I, um, I, I'm off for so bad that it's good. Uh, but this kind of goes, you know, right through that and comes out the other side. And <laughs> it's not just a, a car crash of a film. It's kind of like a slow motion car crash, which just seems to go on and on and just rubs all the horribleness in your face. And, you know, for like the first 10, 15 minutes, kind of like, yeah, this is really crap. Yeah, and then after that, it just it gets painful, and then it starts hurting. And then, <laughs> you know, Morris is having chest pains, and uh, I did. Yeah, I did. it's. I yeah, I I really don't know if I can recommend this. I mean, it is it, is the kind of thing that you need to see to believe, but at the same time, I don't know. Oh, yeah. life's too short, isn't it? You know, and this is. <laughs> it's it's well, I, it's unique. I guess if, if you're unique. having a party. If, I guess, Bernie, if you're having a party over at uh, 
Casa de Stickwell, and the people aren't ready to leave. Oh, you absolutely. could always throw on the apple. Jeez. <laughs> this will clear a room in like thirty seconds easily. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, I, right. I, I don't think I could honestly recommend it to people. I mean, if you if you hate yourself and you want to torture yourself, um, then Come maybe. On. But. I've seen it twice now, and I, I gave it the old college try. I gotta say, but it's right. it's fucking. But for brutal. people, yeah, but for people that think they've seen it all, and for everybody, you know, you, you everyone has those friends, those you know, those frumpy like, oh, I've I've seen it, I've seen it, I've yeah, seen it. It's yeah. old, but have you seen this? You drop that on them, and that'll shut them up real quick. You know? yeah. It's true, but right. you know, shit stinks, and I, I don't think I need shit rubbed in my face for ninety minutes to know that shit stinks. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking more like a shit sandwich. You know, you don't need to, <laughs> you don't need to to smell with no bread, with no bread <laughs> to know that it's going to taste like. See, shit. that, that, that um, would be the two-word review, wouldn't it? Shit sandwich. My review for this would be just one word, and it would be shit. <laughs> I believe in elaborating, giving it a fair chance. Really, shit. All right. Well, what, what we're going to do, what we're going to do now is uh, go to Mr. Justin Oberholzer, aka the Cinemasochist, and listen to what he has to say. And after uh, you've heard that, we'll be back briefly to tell you what we're going to be doing in the next episode of See Here Podcast. We'll be back shortly. Here's the Cinemasochist. Just because the Cinemascus Justin Oberholzer can't, unfortunately, make it on to today's show of the See Here podcast to review the Apple, doesn't mean the Cinemascus can't give his thoughts on this episode about the Apple. I may not be there with the crew uh, themselves discussing the film today, unfortunately, due to a work and life in general kind of throwing curveballs my way, but I was able to squeeze in a viewing of the Apple and wanted to send my thoughts your way. Now... I know this one is regarded as, I guess, as a campy cult classic, as Netflix likes to promote it as, and for the most part, it's gotten its fair share of negative reviews. I know I've had a lot of people recommend it to me, some just on the face value alone of just genuinely enjoying the film, and a lot of others uh, looking at it either in a so-bad-it's-good way or just thinking it's terrible and thinking, well, that's the perfect film for the Cinemascist. And while this definitely is a, a very good film for the Cinemascus, it's actually good in the sense that I genuinely enjoyed The Apple. Not in a so bad it's good way, or that I'm laughing at it way, even though there are definitely moments where it gets a little bit too cheesy for its own good. But I, overall, quite enjoyed this film. Now, I'm not always the biggest fan of musicals, though I've, I've noticed, I don't know if I'm getting, I won't say softer, but they're starting to warm, warm over me. But for this one, what I really liked about The Apple is what I can see a lot of people hating about it, and that is how gaudy it is. Yes, it's way too possibly overly gaudy at times, especially in the beginning when it's laying on thick, but the fact that the film just goes so over the top and its set decorations and its costuming is just so out there, especially for this, at the time, futuristic look at the year of 1994 and, what, 1979, 1980? Uh, I just, I couldn't help but be won over by the film's charm. It does seemingly try so hard at times to really, like, essentially begging the audience to like it, but uh, the begging worked, I guess. Uh, the story itself, 
with the two, uh, the, the boyfriend and girlfriend uh, duo uh, being kind of swept up in a, oh, actually Devilish would be better word than CD, a Devilish record producing company, BIM, to be the next, like, pop sensation. Uh, that, that story holding the forbidden love and all that, it's, it's rudimentary, it's basic, it, it does its trick, uh, it wasn't overtly invested in that, but it was enough to get us from point A to point B. But what surrounds it, I just found, was so much fun. I, I got a really good kick out of the way in which, and you know, they decide who the next big act's going to be when they hold the, the talent contest, and <laughs> they're judging by all the heartbeats, and... Uh, you know, we had what, uh, the tip typical rock band in the beginning getting 150 heartbeats, but then uh, the duo who, you know, some people are against because, you know, not, it's nostalgia at that time. Love ballads are nostalgia, even though there actually is nice commentary about nostalgia being marketable and profitable. Uh, but that one's like, oh, they would never get over 150 heartbeats, and then they actually get to 151 and they have to sabotage it. Uh, anyway, I don't want to ramble here. But, I mean, I, lo I like that stuff. I like the film's humor. Uh, I did love uh, some of the set designs. Like, I really liked uh, the sequence in which, and it's kind of a fantasy of uh, Alfie, the, the male singer, when he visualizes signing the contracts with him as, you know, this is going to tie some to the title of the apple, as kind of Adam and Eve being tempted by the apple. So there's, you know, some religious undertones in there, uh, but all just really fun. Uh, yeah, I just... Now, as far as the songs go only two really stuck out for me, and it kind of reminded me, actually, the film kind of reminded me a lot of Shock Treatment, which came out a year or two later, uh, obviously the sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show, and then I, I like Shock Treatment just like I like this film, but for me, Shock Treatment, its biggest weakness, surprisingly, was the fact that I just didn't think the musical numbers were that memorable. They were not bad whatsoever, and the songs were fine, but they weren't they didn't capture my spirit or just really stick in my head like uh, the songs from Rocky Horror Picture Show or personally my favorite musical and uh, film that I feel deserves just as much, if not even more so, love, praise, adulation, and just m mainstream success as the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, that being Fam of the Paradise. I watched that, I think, last year or two years ago, and I was just blown away. Absolutely love that. I think that's that's my kind of musical right there. Um. But yeah, it's a, you know, shock treatment wasn't on those levels. And for the most part, I'd say the Apple's kind of the same way as the shock treatment as the songs themselves aren't as good and really aren't the strongest points of the film. Shock treatment, the story with the the public access channel and, you know, brainwashing the masses. Uh, this, you know, film using music, uh, the Apple, kind of using the same template and uh, social commentary, uh, but that was a lot more intriguing to me, and here, the story itself wasn't as intriguing as Shock Treatments, but just the set designs, uh, and just the, the nature of the film and its tone really was the selling point, but there were two songs in here that did stick out for me, one in particular, that I almost, kind of makes me appreciate this one, I like it a tad bit more than Shock Treatment, and I know that's sacrilegious probably to say to many, um, uh, the titular song, The Apple, uh, which is the song that's played when, you know, he's having his visions of hell. That's good. That's really catchy. I liked it. Uh, and the other one that actually has stuck in my head and almost makes me want to get the soundtrack to the film just for this song alone, maybe I can find it on iTunes, is uh, the America Speed song, how America just loves speed, obviously, the, the joke in there with drugs. I just thought that was really catchy, very upbeat, very fun, and it helps because that one's the song that's set at an actual concert, so it feels more organic to the story. Though even then, you know, that sometimes is a trouble for me with musicals, but I, I kind of liked it in this case. It, it, everything fit. Um, 
just even the really cheesy aspect of the film's like set designs, because not everything looks good. Um, I got a kick out of how the cars look futuristic in 1994, when really they just look like the prototype of the Homer-mobile from when Homer Simpson created his own car in one of the early seasons of The Simpsons. Um, and the names, too, are cheesy, like the film being Mr. Boogaloo, but, you know, so cheesy that I enjoyed them. Uh, but for me, too, like, the way that everybody dresses, especially some of Boogaloo's uh, henchmen, very gaudy, just, like, very, like, silver, glitter makeup, almost look like neon took a crap, and that's what came out. What it actually made me think of is whenever we watch, especially sometimes with comedies, uh, certain science fiction films and cartoons and such, when we look at other alien life forms and specifically look at how, like, life would be on another planet, it's always this futuristic drenched in neon, very cartoonish, like over-the-top look, because that's how we would like to either see the future and or uh, other alien life forms. And all I could think about, especially in the beginning of this film, when its style is really being laid on thick and you're just drowning in it, is how this must be what alien life forms, if they did exist, viewed Earth and its inhabitants, us humans, as. And to the point where I thought, well, maybe this was a film that was made on Mars or something like that. Uh, of, of Okay, this is what we think the world's going to be like in 1994 on Earth. This is what Earth is like. We know it. Uh, and somehow, uh, Canon Films just got a hold of this film instead of promoting it as this uh, alien film. And just as such, I don't know, I just kind of got a kick out of it because it's... I always like that about films, and especially because there's two ways if you're going to do a movie set in the future. You either do the like post-apocalyptic look or just kind of – or going that way. Like I just watched 12 Monkeys for the first time a few weeks ago and really enjoyed it. And that one, no, not too far into the future at the time of its release, did kind of view the future as being grim, uh, getting into the way of like post-apocalypse, such as a Mad Max-type world. Well, maybe not so much for 12 Monkeys. But you either do that or you do what the Apple does – and you just view the future as this just gaudy, neon, digital, tech wonder world, which we're kind of at. We're just not as gaudy. Um, and I always get a kick out of that because if you're going to look into the future, you're going to do this. Go big or go home. Because I always thought, well, why wouldn't you, know, you look into the future and kind of look at it modestly? And while that's fine, if you're going to do a film set in the future, and especially if you're going to do a film like The Apple where it's inherently just supposed to be cheesy and fun, why not You know, go big or go home? And for some of this film's faults, yes, it does try way too hard at times uh, to really get you to like it. And, you know, like I said, the story itself, it's middle of the road. And the songs, you know, none of the songs are bad, but only two really stuck out for me. But, I mean, it is just, for me, I just thought this was so much fun. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm in the love camp, but I am definitely in a genuinely enjoying this uh, camp. And I will defend this film till the day I die, and it's not going to be... Uh, with my tongue firmly planted in cheek because I don't feel this is a bad film that is good. It, I would almost, in a weird connection, I would defend this like I would defend Miami Connection in that I'm not enjoying this for the wrong reasons in the sense that I'm laughing at the film like somebody would maybe enjoy The Room. I'm enjoying this film because I just generally think it's good. Now, in this case of The Apple, it's clear that they the filmmakers knew this was going to be campy. They're not really taking this serious. As to where with Miami Connection... Maybe the filmmakers knew a bit that they were trying to have some fun, but I mean, they took that seriously. But it's the charm of both of these films and of the filmmakers and just the heart and soul put in these that really just won me over. Uh, and again, I'm rambling now. Uh, yeah, so I mean, and the film is very obvious at times, too. I have a, a note, one of the songs, the big lyric is, I'm coming for you. And I'm like, yeah, well, obvious joke is obvious. 
But I'm not gonna. This was fun. This was a, a very good treat, and it is still on Netflix Instant, folks. Uh, I didn't think it was because I thought I went searching for it the other day, and I couldn't find it on Netflix Instant. So I was looking this morning uh, to see because I think Amazon Instant also has it, which I don't have. But I was thinking of signing up for possibly. But I was looking, hey, maybe you know one of the channels on my Roku would have it. So when I was searching through Roku, it said, "Well, watch instantly on Netflix," and I was like, I thought it went off. So apparently, it's still on Netflix, and it was still on my Instant queue. I just somehow skipped over it, or when I searched it the other day, it wasn't coming up. I must have just miraculously popped up the day I wanted to watch it. So I would even, well, if you're not a fan of musicals, it might be a little hard-pressed. Obviously, I'm going to say if you're a fan of something like Rocky Horror Picture Show, Shock Treatment, and, well, I don't, I'd say Phantom of the Paradise, but I think that's the one musical that transcends even people that hate musicals, because rightfully so, a lot of people love that film. Uh, but yeah, we're going to say something like a Shock Treatment, or just that, that kind of musical. This is definitely right up your alley. Um, I, I enjoy this a lot more than I thought. I really thought that I might like bits and pieces of it, but overall the package wouldn't work, but I, I had fun with it for me from well, my rating scale. I'd give it a B. I thought this was solid and really enjoyable. And again, I apologize to everybody that I couldn't, uh, be on the show, uh, except in this format. Uh, but hopefully in the future we can get something worked out and get the schedulings down. Uh, just, it wasn't to be this time, which is a shame because this would have been a fantastic film to talk about with a group of people. And I can't wait to listen to this review and probably skip over this feedback because I don't like hearing the sound of my own voice. All right. Thanks guys. Have a great day. And we're back from break. Thank you, uh, Justin for, uh, your review. And, um, yeah, so Justin tended to go uh, very much in, uh, Tim's line of thought. He really enjoyed it and not at all ironically. So, uh, yeah, good on you, Cinemasochist. Uh, we look forward to having you on the show. But next time, I think we're going to sort of go against the grain. And when you're available, we'll, we're going to pick a good film. Uh, so something that, you know, may challenge your masochist tendencies. But, you know, but we'd love to have you on. That boy ain't right, is he? Oh, uh, no, he's he's right. He <laughs> he watches the film so you don't have to. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a good lad. He's Thank a good you, lad. Justin. Thank you. Um, so it's now time to talk very briefly about episode 19 of See Here podcast coming up next month. And we're very, very excited here at See Here headquarters because we are going to have definitely one special guest, possibly two, but I don't want to reveal who they are just yet. Keep a look on the Facebook pages, but trust me, it's going to be worth it. Uh, what I will reveal is the movie under discussion. And this is a film which I believe, uh, Wendy, you only saw for the first time, I think, was it last year? And you put up a yeah, post saying... last year. I'm, you, so, I'm so glad I did. You, you put up a post saying, I never would have believed that this film was going to be like this. And you, you probably had one picture of it being one way, and it was something completely different. And the film, of course, is, I think, from 1978, Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. Yeah, th this film is a I, I saw I think when I was thirteen or fourteen, so uh, it's been with me a long time, and I'm dying to know what you guys uh, have to say about it, and uh, certainly very interested to know what our uh, uh, definite one, possibly two special guests are going to have to say about it. But um, anyway, that's for next month. Uh, Bob Fosse starring uh, Roy Scheider. Uh, and, and I mean that. Well, look, we'll discuss more about that next month. But it was a it was a big step for Roy Scheider, who'd done so many great crime action films in the seventies, uh, and uh, this was uh, a definite out of his comfort zone film. So if you haven't gone and seen all that jazz, 
yet. Uh, I don't know if this is on Netflix or not. It'll probably be on Hulu, I imagine, because they manage the Criterion films, and uh, this has come out as a Criterion edition. So um, if you haven't seen it, I urge you to do so. And if you have seen it, watch it again. It's yeah, We've got a lot to say about it next month, no doubt. So I think that is it. Um, everyone, it's been despite the fact that we, you know, well, three of us didn't like it and one of us did, but it was still a very fun conversation about the Apple. So, um, oh, I, sorry, I can I just to... uh, interject here, Morris? Yeah. It looks like all that jazz is actually on YouTube in full as well. So, Really? Yes. Excellent. Yeah. In fact, okay. I'll post well, the link on the uh, Facebook group. So, Excellent. Thank you. Okay, so uh, there you go, folks. No excuses. Follow along with us. And um, if you have any feedback, please send an email to seeherepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Or even if you have some thoughts that you want to post on the Facebook page about the film, we'll read them out because um, I, I yeah, really would like to know what you as a community think about this film. It's uh, one that I hold near to my heart, so I'm you know, giving the game away a little bit there, but, uh, but we'll still have plenty to say, no doubt. So until next month, be nice to each other, watch some good movies, and watch some shit-ass films if you feel like hurting yourself. Uh, but just basically be nice to each other and uh, rip that BIM sticker off your forehead. That's it from me. Bye. Bye. Bye.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 